Hello, and welcome to One Real Good Thing, where we dive into one thing you can do today to propel your life in a healthy direction. I'm Ellie Krieger, and in this episode, I'm talking with farmer Jeff Bialis, owner of JNA Farms. I call him my farmer because I have been buying produce from him at my local farmer's market for nearly 20 years. We discuss why talking with a farmer is beneficial on multiple levels and dig into specific questions to ask about where and how food is grown. Jeff also reveals a few farmer's market etiquette mistakes you're going to want to avoid. So Jeff Bialis, it is so good to have you here. I am so excited to introduce you to my listeners because you are my farmer. I don't know if you know this, but I call you my farmer. So I am so happy to have my farmer here with me and, um, and to introduce you. And I, you know, you feed me and that means so much to me. And I know how good it feels to feed people from my perspective. So I'm sure that feels good to you to hear as well. It does. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. And I, you know, we've known each other, I don't even know how many, many, many years now, at least a couple decades, I think. I'd say. Um, you know, I've been at the market. This is my 30th year on the Upper West Side. Um, when I first started, it was actually my parents' farm. And then um, my wife, Adina, and I went off on our own in 2010. Uh, we wanted to grow organically and we had two young children at the time. And we really just wanted to do our own thing in our own way and, and sort of you know, buck the trend of what's around here, which is mostly conventional farming. We really wanted to have a place for our kids to run around and eat without having to worry about if it was sprayed recently. So that's like, so that's the history of it, right? Like that's the beginnings. And you've been there at the market, at this particular market on the Upper West Side, which I go to pretty much every Friday that I possibly can um, for 30 years. Yeah, I think we've probably known each other 20 years now, but um, you know, it's such a joy for me to go to the market um, and to connect with you every week, even if it's just sort of like a passing sort of fist bump or something. Mm -hmm. um, but oftentimes we do get into really good conversations and, and I, I want to, I think your one real good thing is very important because it is to talk with a farmer. And I want to talk about why that matters, why that's helpful from your perspective, um, and how it could help people better their lives by doing this. Um, and I think it, it's so multi-level because it could help an individual, but could also help on a real community level. And then that kind of, it's that pebble in the lake sort of idea where it, it helps on a very personal level, but those repercussions can really go out society-wide, I think. Um, so, you know, you have been central to my personal farmer's market community. Um, why do you find it, as a farmer, why do you find it helpful or why it's been central for you to be at the market? This is like a cornerstone of your business. Why did you choose this avenue and why do you like it? Well, I, I've always thought it's very important for me as the farmer to actually be at the market. You know, I know many farms that actually just send representatives, which is, you know, fine. But for me, it's important because I know all the inner workings of the farm and people have lots of questions. And that's so important for them to get the answers to their questions, even if it's not exactly what they want, at least it's the truth. You know, so I tell them if they, you know, when I was at my parents' farm, it was conventional. A lot of people didn't like that. And I, I respected that, but I wanted to be honest with them and tell them that. Um, but also there's, because like you said, so many levels of it where 
it's just basic questions, you know, spray or no spray, or what is this vegetable? But then it's like, you know, talking about maybe someone that we're trying to grow. And during COVID, it went crazy, people growing their own gardens. And so they're asking me farming questions or gardening questions and the community plots in the, in the, in the city where people have their gardens. I have people bringing me pictures of their plants they bought from me to show me how beautiful they are in their gardens. You know, it's like, that's how it's like stepping out for me from me just, you know, selling a plant, them growing it and being so proud of it and then sharing it with me again. And it, I, you know, I love feeding them, but I also love teaching them and showing them and telling them about, you know, if they have a pest problem or if they have a disease in there, I tell them, take a picture or if it's small enough, bring it to me and I'll help them diagnose it, figure it out. So it's just that little community thing. It's just, you know, keeps going out. Like you said, you know, pebble in the pond. So, I mean, that's very generous of you. Do you think that, and I think you love to engage in that way. I see that as being like very, um, it feels very innate when I talk to you, but I think maybe not all farmers feel that way. Do you think, do you think that's everyone true. wants, <laughs> I mean, no, most, there's a lot of grumpy farmers out there. So, <laughs> But do you think in general, as a whole, farmers do want to talk about the work that they're doing and what they believe in? They might not want to give you advice about your plants that you're growing in your garden that you so generously do. That came up because it's very recent in my mind, just like the last couple of markets, people have been coming back with what I call baby pictures of their plants (laughs) to show me. Um, But I think in general, yes, the farmers do want to talk unless they're having, you know, a rough day because we do get up at three in the morning to get to market on time. But they do want to talk about it because their work is different than most people's work. And granted, everybody has had some experience with growing something in their lives. But to grow it as your profession, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of pressure. And, you know, between changing climate and financial changes with, I mean, the gas affects everybody right now, but it goes so many layers with farmers. And so we've got a lot of pressures on us and they do want to actually share some of that information to really just let people understand how difficult and not just because of our hard physical work, how difficult farming really is. And they do want to talk about that. You know, sometimes they don't come across really easily and nice, like, you know. (laughs) Well, I think I think it's really critical, too, because I do think there's a huge disconnect. So I live in New York City. It's, you know, about as deep urban of an environment as you could possibly get. And I do think there's a disconnect between actually not that far away. One hour away about is the farmland. um, And there's quite a bit of it in a radius of New York City. But I think that the New York City residents don't necessarily really connect or relate or understand the issues facing the farm community. And there seems to be such this divide sometimes. And I think this connection can really help us mutually understand one another. Um, And I think that's, for me, also why the conversation is important, just to build that larger community and understanding and take away that disconnect. And part of that, it was interesting to me, one, I think it was two years ago. I'm not sure if it was last year. I have no, I'm bad with timelines, but you didn't have lettuce because your fields flooded. Yeah. And I mean, Jeff, your lettuce like changes my life. Like if I can't get your lettuce, I, I feel like something's not right in my life. I'm not joking. This lettuce guys is different from any lettuce that I buy any that you could buy in any store. I promise you. Um, so you. go to the, and I'm sure Jeff has very special lettuce, but probably most farmers markets, when you buy the lettuce there, it's going to be the, a different animal entirely. Like it has life to it. Um, and, and I just treasure it anyway. But you didn't have it one year and or for us for a, a period of maybe a month or something. And I and it was because the fields flooded. And so it was this 
really deep understanding of like, wow, we don't really have complete control over what happens here. And it kind of made me value it even more and value what you are going through as a business even more. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing, you know, over the years, lettuce in particular has been a very you know popular item for us. And so I do plant over the course of a season, 10 or 12 times, like actually 10 or 12 separate plantings of lettuce. So I always have fresh, delicious lettuce coming to market. But if we do get rains, like I think it was, I think it was last year, we had a stretch where we had six inches of rain over the course of a week and the field flooded two separate times, just like just surface water. It wasn't even like a river overflowed. It was just so much water and nowhere to go. And it stayed in the fields and the lettuce died. Um, Again, fortunately, since I plant so often, it was within a month, we had some more again from another, you know, field that I try to look at my fields where there's like a low spot. If I know it could be a problem, I plant somewhere else with a similar crop for like the succession planting. Because with climate change, it's it's been this rains in the summer. Like right now, we're actually in a semi-drought, but we're getting an inch of rain this week. Um, we're supposed to. We were supposed to get an inch of rain last week, too, and we had quarter inch. So there's just so much... Um, to deal with with the with climate change right now, um, it, it's hard to have all of our products at all times. Um, yeah. but that's one of the benefits of the markets. You understand? It's, you get to see that. And know, I think like that's so said. critical for our society for people to really intimately understand the repercussions, um, mm-hmm. the daily repercussions of these kinds of climate changes wherever you are in the country. And they might express themselves differently. Some places it's smoke and fire, and some places mm-hmm. it's flooding. I mean, it's serious, um, but it, it connects us with that the way you're living it on a day to day. So we're getting into some questions to ask farmers. And one question I, I would love to ask you is on your website, you say your farm is certified naturally grown and you say this is common um, at markets. And so please explain what that is and how that differs from organic. Sure. So when the USDA essentially took over the word organic, I think it was 2002, there was a, a group of small farms in New Paltz, New York, actually, that didn't want to be put in the same category as larger farms. They felt that they had a different mindset, a different outlook on their farm and a different, like essentially love of their soil, love of their farm. And so they actually created this um, for small family farms. It's, you can't be a large farm and be certified naturally grown. It's only for small farms. And we follow all the same guidelines as the national organic program. Um, there's less paperwork, there's um, less, uh, less cost. It's a, it's a lower cost. They do like sliding scale, depending on your farm's income. You know, it's a, uh, Oh, yeah, it's like it's a, it's an easier program for us to work with. And we actually they do peer certification. So other farmers help with your certification so we can actually help each other figure out the problems when we each have one. And so it's actually a really great program on all levels. So it uses the same principles like not spraying with um, uh, toxic. No, no synthetic pest- sprays, fertilizers. Um, you have buffer zones around your fields. If there's somebody that could possibly spray nearby, it's all exactly the same rules. They just changed how would they do it and make it a little bit more workable for a small farm that doesn't have an office to take care of everything, which right. a bigger farm would have. Because small the paperwork, would- the paperwork to become certified is quite extensive, and also the cost. It's very expensive to become certified organic. So it's a shame that there's such a deterrent, first of all, um, to doing so. Yeah. And so when we found this program, I think it was 2012 or 13, we joined the program and they've just been a pleasure to work with all the way through. And I've just met so many amazing farms in the area. 
And it, I mean, it's still a small program. I think nationwide, there's a, about 1,200 farms. Most of them are focused on the East Coast. Um, there's, I think, maybe 200 in New York and like the Tri-State area. And then I think like this, the East, Southern East Coast, you know, Southeast has a lot also, but it's um, very small farm oriented and family farms. And it's really a, a beautiful program. So what kind of questions do you think someone should ask a farmer if they're curious, if let's say they step up and they see their beautiful produce? I mean, I was actually, I know that in the New York farmer's markets, they're very serious about everything being grown or produced within a certain radius of New York City. But I've been to other farmer's markets where I guess like in Michigan, where one of the local farmers told me, oh, some of the sellers here are actually getting their produce from a regular market from that sells like California stuff and they just bring it to this market and there's no real regulation. So, I mean, one of the things you might ask based on my experience is, is this grown locally, <laughs> right? That's a big, important question. And, and because there are so many different kinds of markets and people running them, there are different rules. Uh, fortunately, Green Market in New York City, and there are, I think, 50-something markets now, they have very strict rules. They have good oversight. They have inspectors that come, and I mean, to the point of like measuring your fields to figure out how many you know heads of lettuce you'd get out of a certain planting, and then go to market and count how many boxes of lettuce you have on the truck. Mm. You know, they're not, for most farms, they're not that diligent because most farms follow the rules. But there have been, over the years, farms kicked out because they were caught buying. Wow. So, because, but that's good because it, it shows that they're um, very true to their, their desire to have a really local market with, you know, tr- trustworthiness. Yeah. I mean, rules are nothing if they don't have teeth, right? <laughs> so, so um, I think that that's true in parenting too, by the way, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> just an aside, we talk about parenting a lot. I don't know if you want to ask yeah. your farmer about most farmers <laughs> about parenting, but um. But anyway, um, look, well, we both have teenage daughters, so there's, you know, the camaraderie there. Um, but in any, in any event, um, so asking the farmer the, at a market, is this food produced locally? What else would you a- suggest asking? Like if you want to understand a little bit more about their growing practices, how might you word that without being offensive or seem confrontational? I mean, for me, the hardest thing is when they start with, I read an article and then they start asking. Because a lot of times articles aren't really about local farms. Like if there was some big problem or if there was a, an outbreak of something, generally they're not a New York farm or New Jersey farm. It's a bigger farm that you know has less personal oversight that smaller farmers can give to their farm. And so we don't have as many issues. Um, but I really feel like, you know, for me personally, ask anything, you know, because I'm willing to answer if I'm if I'm too busy. And that's actually, don't ask when they're super busy for any like really, <laughs> if you if you need a long answer because they're going to be too rushed to answer you correctly, you know, or, or kindly, I guess I would say, because when we're rushed around and somebody asks like a question, that's like a four-parter. It's, it's hard to be patient when you're trying to feed another, you know, hundred people in the stand. When right. One person has a long drawn out question. So being conscientious of what is being, don't just riddle the, don't just, you know, riddle the person with <clears throat> questions, but yeah. be kind con- conscientious about their time and their energy that they're spending with you. Um, So keeping brief, perhaps. (laughs) Um, But I think it's fair when you're purchasing something to say, you know, what are your growing methods or what's your growing philosophy? Maybe they might not understand. That might not be a, that might be too vague of a question. Yeah. I think most farmers, especially non-organic ones are just, you know, will say, you know, yes or no to, to organic. They're very simple. I think most organic farmers that I know 
do love to talk about what they do because I feel it when, when I switched to organic, this passion that was building inside me farming turned into this passion about growing organic food. It just, it, it just exploded because I realized what I'm doing is not just feeding people, but I'm feeding them healthy food that's never been sprayed. And it right. was like this different level of passion I developed when I started growing organically. Right. And so I just want to talk about it. And so even if you, if someone asks you, if you grow organically, you can't say yes, but you explain them the certified naturally grown. Exactly. Yeah. Cause we can't say that we're organic, but we do say that, you know, separate certifier and we use the same growing practices because that's all that's allowable. And I've asked people like fruit growers in particular, I know it's particularly hard to grow fruit organically because bugs just love that stuff. right? And so I've talked to local fruit growers at the market and they say, no, we're not organic and we spray, but we are very conscientious about spraying. And they sort of have very strict policies and seem to me, convincingly conscientious about spraying. And I, that was good enough for me. Like sometimes I get it, like you have to get those pests away. Um, so I, I feel like sometimes that's a good answer. Like just that engagement creates a relationship and a rapport and you kind of get where they're coming from. Yeah, and you can you can really understand like fruit is a big thing because I, I feel the same way. I have a couple of fruit trees and I have very few years that I have a great crop. Usually they're kind of riddled with bugs and, and that's okay. I cut that away, but I'm not paying, you know, market price for them. I'm getting a, you know, my tree in the backyard. And you don't sell them. You don't bring your and, fruit and it, to market. Correct. Correct. These are for home use. Um, I don't think I have the energy to try growing organic fruit. I've talked to a couple of people over the years and it's so labor intensive and I'm, uh, you know, strapped enough for time. Um, but so they have something called integrated pest management where you're using different methods to monitor and take care of. And this is actually a conventional method. You know, years ago, I heard about this and it was, you know, you monitor and you basically, you'll, they count the bugs, how many bugs are attacking certain things. And when it gets to a certain level is when they spray. And so that's part of the, the conscientiousness where they're not just spraying because it's a certain day of the week, which some bigger farms do. They just have a, a spray schedule where every, you know, fourth day they're spraying something. Um, and so they actually will go out there and count how many bugs are on a certain plant. And when it exceeds a certain amount, which is the threshold level, then they have to spray. So it oh, doesn't so that damage the plant sense. more. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Integrated pest management. So that's a great one to, to look yeah. out for and see if farmers are doing yeah, that. Yeah. IPM is the, is you might see IPM on certain farms, you know, and so I've heard some orchards actually say that they use IPM management. So, you know, IPM. So that's actually one that, and they'll use other things where they'll have, um, certain cover crops will bring in, in, you know, either pollinators or beneficial insects. And that's one method of not having to spray because you're bringing them in naturally. And you just have like a little hedgerow of flowering plants. And that actually is where beneficial insects can live until the pests come in and then they come out and eat the pests. So that's part more. of integrated pest management as yeah, well. It, it is, it is. It's actually, I mean, it's a very, you know, big part of organic farming, but it's also part of integrated pest management as one of many different things they can do, even as a conventional farmer, to not have to spray. Right. And I like the idea in a way that we don't have to silo everything, right? That there are different mm -hmm. tools at our disposal and we can use them in an educated, conscientious manner and, mm -hmm. and have good food. <laughs> exactly. Um, so are there questions people should avoid asking? I mean, um, I mean, maybe just- Have I ever asked you anything really- <laughs> no, I should have no, not asked. Know, I would say the only thing would just be like, you know, overly personal questions because that's, you know, maybe not the time or place for it, unless you right. really know the farmer, like you and right. I know each other. And so we will talk about our kids or whatnot, right. you know, but 
Um, other than that, I think if it's, you know, food and farm related, you know, ask away, right. being, being aware of their busy factor, you know. Right. And, and so one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, so thank you for that, for how to engage in a conversation with a farmer, what types of things to ask, how do you know you're getting something that's truly local, that's truly grown with care and um, a consideration for environmental um, friendliness. Um, so those are really helpful tips. Um, I also want to talk about farmer's market etiquette. So now, you know, to me, this is like the height of farmer's market season. I think people might want to tap into what is really the etiquette? What are, are there any like breaches of etiquette that are so common that make you nuts? <laughs> I have my own, by the way. Uh, do you want to share first? No, <laughs> no you, I want to hear from you. Oh, put me on the spot. It's okay. Um, <laughs> There, there's a few. I mean, so much of it just comes down to paying attention to those around you. So don't cut the line. Don't bump into people. You know, people carry big bags or have carts and will run into people or knock people, you know, knock into them. You know, that kind of thing is just, I mean, that's just basic stuff. But in the farmer's markets, a lot of times it's a smaller space under this under the tent where the vegetables are. And, you know, everybody gets distracted by the beautiful vegetables and the lettuce and not really realizing that they just like, you know, ran over someone's foot with their cart or something. Um, me personally, there's two things. One is um, don't lean your bike against our tent or table. Oh, <laughs> A boy. lot of people will just lean their bike and it tends to knock things off. And then once a vegetable lands on the ground, we have to throw it away because it's contaminated. There's a, you know, it's a food safety thing. And this happens more often than I'd like to admit. Every week I have to like tell people. Wow. Um, and then we've had some issues over the years with very curious dogs or dogs that haven't been walked recently. And actually they will pee on our produce that's oh like, uh, you know, stacked under the table. And so we've had to, you know, request that people just only if it's a service animal um, or, you know, and, and I don't just do that. If it's like, it's a well-behaved dog that's by the owner's side. You can tell the dog's been trained, but there's dogs that just, you know, cause they're curious, they stick their nose into the box of lettuce, you know, they're just looking around and that's all of a sudden it's a food safety thing. And they really, I care about those people that have compromised immune systems. I you know lived with one for a long time and it became super, uh, became very vigilant, very, very personal for me to have to understand where food risks come in for people like that. And, and so I want to do my best at all levels of farming and feeding people to protect them. And so that so, was one thing. So the, the peeing, obviously, but even yeah. the peeing, you, you had told me this story and I was horrified yeah. <laughs> and, and that you had to throw away like 150 box of a dollar box of potatoes from mm -hmm. that or something, yeah. which is so very, you know, people I think are just oblivious as to what their dog is doing in this town. So I think pay attention, right? Maybe don't bring your dog in, hold your dog, maybe in your arms. If it's a small dog. Well, um, actually th just to cut in here, oh, is that, that actually make, because now it's above the food when they oh. lean over to get it, the dog's face is right above it, which is again, now comes back to the same food safety issues that putting its face underneath. Right. Cause it's also, it's feet are close now too, to all yeah, the food. Oh dear. You know, don't do that. Don't listen yeah. to me. <laughs> um, there is a fence near our stand. So, you know, they, a lot of people will tie them up, you know, that, um, but some people don't feel comfortable with that. They might have like a fancy dog. One woman a couple weeks ago told me that her dog was very expensive and somebody will steal it. Oh, so, which, which happens. I, it does. It does. Yeah. I, I mean, totally, uh, you know, understand that. But, right. But nonetheless, so, so, but so obviously the urination on the food, but even the dog sniffing around the food is a safety risk is what you're saying. Absolutely. I mean, where do dogs put their noses? You know, <laughs> I mean, they're sniffing everything. And then, 
you know. Right. Okay. No, this is important. I think normally people don't think about this kind of thing. And there is food usually in bins underneath the table that people just don't even think about it because they're not seeing it with their. Oh, and I understand people are so excited about what's on top of the table. And their animals are just as excited to see what's under the table. So it's right. you know mimicking their behavior like, oh, my gosh, look at this. <laughs> okay, here's a, maybe an obvious question, but you have to put things under the table or can you not put things under the table? You um, really need that space. We would, we would, we need the space. We actually have wooden pallets that are on the ground and the produce is off the ground by four inches. Okay. And so it's like actually raised off the ground to keep it safe from anything that could be on the ground on the sidewalk. So okay. there's like contaminants that could be there. And so we don't put anything directly on the pavement. Um, but for efficiency sake, I mean, I would have to hire at least two more people to help load the tables. So just leave everything on the truck and bring out one box at a time and then return it to the truck because you don't always put up a full box of something on the table. You put up, you know, six or eight heads of lettuce, the, you know, the refill box goes underneath. So you can just pull a few more up when the display gets a little bit low. Gotcha. Gotcha. Oh, so that's good. And I guess when you're shopping at a farmer's market, maybe look for those types of precautions, like making sure that those pallets that the produce is on pallets and things like that. It shows the care of the farmer for that kind of issue, I think. It's actually one of Green Market's rules that you have to have it off the ground. You can't have your produce on the ground. Yeah, might not be for everywhere. So it's good around the country to maybe. Um, So what about um, like squeezing and touching? (laughs) Like how do people feel about- Vegetables, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I I have, you know, sometimes you just want to feel it. And sometimes maybe that seems rude. (laughs) I mean, the only time it really becomes a big issue is tomato season. When they pick it up, people pick it up and then drop it and go to the next one. And they keep asking why they're, why they're squishy. Meanwhile, they're dropping it from six inches. That's an early tomato that, you know, is tender to begin with and then dropping it. And so when they're less thoughtful, when they're handling the the tomatoes, for example, that's when it becomes an issue. So, so, and I, that would work, be true probably with lots of fruits like peaches, berries, yeah. things like anything tender, just be, maybe don't yeah. touch or maybe just be super gentle. Yeah. I mean, being gentle if, if possible, um, <laughs> you know, cause I mean, and for my, my, my experience, we grow a lot of heirloom tomatoes. A lot of times the stem end of the tomato has cracks and things on it, but it's also the strongest uh, part of the tomato. So when we, we transport them from the farm, they're actually top down because that's like the firmest part of the tomato. And so they're not going to get damaged to transport, but you, so you should be able to pick it up and look on the bottom to, you know, to see if it has a big crack that you don't want, or maybe it's not fully ripened and you want to. So I understand looking at it, it's not, you know, an issue of should they, shouldn't they just be gentle. That's all. Well, that's good advice in life in general too, exactly. probably. Yes. <laughs> Handle with care. <laughs> well, this is super helpful. And I just think creating uh, that sense of community to, to know who's growing your food, to feel that responsibility of the person who's doing it and the effort and the love that they put into it. And then taking that, being able to take that home to your family is such a huge beneficial thing to do. So I'm a huge advocate and encourage everyone to go to farmer's markets. It's also fun to do. And it's a great way to teach kids about produce. Oh, I thought of a really good question, actually, that I love to ask farmers. And um, a lot of times you in particular too grow varieties of vegetables that I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. And so it's fun. I think even when Bella was little, I would say, go on a treasure hunt, pick something out you've never seen before. And she would find things and I had no idea how to cook them. And I think it's great to ask farmers for cooking tips. Absolutely. And most of them do cook 
at least some of the vegetables. Uh, when I first started going to the markets years ago, I cooked, I always, I've always loved to cook, but I didn't cook very many different things. But then I decided or realized I had to learn how to cook all these things because there are so many questions about how to cook them. And if I didn't know, nobody was interested and I'd bring this thing home with me. So, you know, and then I changed it around where I was, all of a sudden I decided, what did I like to eat? And I grew that and then convinced everyone else to like it so I can grow more of it and eat more. So that's why we grow so many Asian greens because I love Asian greens. Oh, that's great. <laughs> have, yeah. You know, it's just like, I love to eat it. And so I want everybody else to love it too, because it's so good. Well, then you could speak about it more passionately even. That's so true. why not? Yeah. That totally works. Um, yeah. yeah. So I think um, it's a great way to learn new things and, um, and, I th- and to understand the seasonality of your food and to understand what farmers are dealing with and to understand the environment. And so there's just so much there. Um, I actually had another question somebody could ask because I find a lot of people come up with a recipe in mind and they ask for a specific thing. And if we don't have it, I, um, a lot of people are nervous to try something different in that recipe because the recipe called for X, Y, or Z, but asking, is there a substitute that would be similar to whatever the product was that they needed is a big question that I think, you know, people, you know, cooks can ask because there's a lot of, a lot of things you can substitute in, in a recipe, you know, there's you know, so yeah. many possibilities at a farmer's market. Oh, that's great advice. That's really great advice. Cause I do think we often shop with a specific list in mind mm-hmm. and maybe that thing's not even in season yet. Um, and sometimes even the substitute thing is even better. Exactly. So that's terrific advice, as always you have. <laughs> um, so I think I've I think I have a really good sense of um, what people should ask and what to look for at a market and how asking your farmer, talking to a farmer can enhance your life. And um, I was wondering if there's anything else you wanted to add before we sign off. Goodness. Um, I don't know. I mean, we really, t- we covered a lot of this, um, you know, Great. usually uh, uh, at the, come see me at the market and, you know, throw your questions at me. I'll be willing to answer anything. So. Yeah. And I will put your website uh, on the link in my, uh, on my website. So people can oh, check okay. you out and check out the farm. And if you're on the Upper West Side on Friday mornings ever, come by the market on 97th street and say hi to Jeff and come to J and a farms. And you're most likely going to see me there <laughs> at some standing point on the side, talking to me, standing on the side <laughs> <laughs> and buying plenty of stuff too. Yeah, of course, of course. But, uh, but thank you so much, Jeff, for being here and for enlightening us and for being my farmer. <laughs> my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. I hope you feel inspired to head to a farmer's market and strike up a conversation with a farmer. Go to elliekrieger.com to learn more about Jeff Bialis and JNA Farms and join me next time for another One Real Good Thing. <laughs>